Our Father in heaven, we thank you. I, I just want to thank you and praise you for this conference, for the people here who are coming because they want to follow your plan more fully. It has so moved me to see that, that interest and that desire here. And Father, I just ask that you would bless us, bless us all at this conference. And I pray that you would especially guide and direct me in what I say, what I share here now, that I would be able to communicate it in a clear and um, concise way that would be understandable and applicable. I thank you for hearing us and for being with, with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, my title is The Garden Paradigm, Dominion in the Image of God. And, you know, I've, I've felt in my life that God has, has led me in a circu- circuitous route, a circuitous journey. Um, and I, you know, chances are very good that I, I had a lot to do with the circuitousness of it. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's what's happened. And that's, that's been my life. Um, I married Jennifer right after college. We, we got uh, degrees in international public health, and we went overseas. Um, we, when we married, we wanted to be missionaries. That was, that was my objective in life. When I was in school, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know where I wanted to be, and that was overseas. I, I was just trying to figure out what am I going to do that will get me there. <laughs> um, so we, for most of our time, we, we were working with ADRA, and um, the work was, was often quite stressful, but we also found it very satisfying. And after about, after 16 years in, in Sudan and Tanzania and Yemen, God brought us home. And that was initially very confusing to me. But I, I remember one day I sought the Lord for, for direction. And um, I, I fasted and prayed. I, I took some books with me, one of them being The Desire of Ages. And at the end of that day, I felt that God had had clearly shown me that I should be, I wasn't totally clear, but doing something, raising plants, farming, gardening, that, you know, that that was, that was what he wanted me to do. Um, it took several years from that, from that point before I was able to begin farming. Um, but when I did, it was, it was an amazing experience to me. Um, 
I found it to be the most, the most fulfilling thing that I had done. And I felt like it was the most whole thing that I had done in my life. I also felt like it was the most real thing that I had done. And, you know, I, I still struggle to know how to explain that to people. But it, those of you who are farming, I found other farmers understand and resonate with that. Um, anyways, as I, as I started farming, my mind somehow kept going back to those first chapters in Genesis. I, it was just, those chapters were like a magnet to my mind. It just kept going back and back. What did God mean there? And um, uh, those, part of the reason I think my mind kept going back is that I suddenly felt that, that those chapters had more relevance to my life than I, than I had ever, you know, than they had ever had before. There, there was something very basic and fundamental about them, and I was doing something very basic and fundamental. And there was a connection there. So, I, you know, I, I just wanted to know what, what did they mean for me? Um, and as I, as, I, as I meditated and prayed over those verses, I began to see things that I had never seen before. And so I, I want to share some of that journey with you this morning. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to give you a, there it is, that's a picture of, of Jennifer's and my family. Um, and this, this picture is actually taken, we, we have a, our, our family, John's, you know, John and I are brothers, and, and our mother, as John said, is Australian, and her, her, her parents and, and her siblings all ended up in the U.S., and we have a family reunion every two or three years of, of that whole family, and not just them, but any, any other Australian relatives who happen to be in the U.S., several have moved there. Um, they're all welcome to join, too. And my mom's brother, uh, although he, he lived in the U.S. and spent his career in the U.S., when he retired, he moved back to New Zealand. He had actually been born in New Zealand, so he, he held a New Zealand passport that he never gave up. And so he moved back to New Zealand, and... Uh, he had, a, he had a daughter late in life. She, she moved back with him. And uh, so I have a, an uncle and aunt and a, a cousin in New Zealand, and we're, we're looking forward to, to visiting them on our way home from here. But anyways, this is, this is our oldest daughter, Evangeline, her husband and their kids here our second daughter, Caroline, and her kids, um, her daughter and son, her husband, David, there, and this is our son, Paul, and his wife, Natasha. So, yeah, one thing we, when, whenever we have our family reunions, we always make a, a t-shirt, 
And the t-shirt always kind of celebrates our Australian roots somehow. So, <laughs> just thought you might find that interesting. Oh, I'm pointing this the wrong way. Okay. Um, so this morning, I want to make the following points. First, that it was God's intention that we have dominion. Whoops. Secondly, that our ideas of dominion tend to be wrong. I, you know, I'm putting it boldly there, but I, I think, you know, as I've talked with people, I think most of us have a kind of a negative idea about dominion when we hear that word. And I'm just wanting to say up front that if you have a negative idea of dominion, it's wrong. <laughs> and third, God is our example or model for dominion. And that's why your idea of dominion is wrong if you have a negative idea about it. And fourth, the garden is where God intended for us to learn and practice dominion. Okay. Um, so God intended that we have dominion. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So when God, when God planned our creation, his plan was that we would have dominion. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. It was not just God's plan that we have dominion, but as far as I can tell, these are the first words God spoke to Adam and Eve. And in those first words, he, he, he gave them their mandate. Uh, and it was to have dominion. In fact, I, I, I believe that, I'm not going to get into it so much, but I, I believe that, whoops. What happened here? Seems like I'm going forward and I'm trying to go backwards. Oh, really? I'm going all the way through the whole slideshow here. <laughs> So, 
our ideas of, of dominion are wrong. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about what God meant when he said that he wanted to make us in his image and likeness. Um, but we, we can, from, from reading the Bible, we can tell that God has... God has form and function similar to ours. Um, there are, you know, he has eyes. He has, he has ears. Um, he has a mouth that speaks. And he has an arm that's, that's active. <laughs> so, you know what? Whatever he's like, he, he has a form and function similar to ours. You know, the Bible says that God's spirit, but, but he's not, that doesn't mean he's just some amorphous, ethereous thing out there. He, he has a form and function similar to ours. Um, but scripture is clear that the form and function that God has um, that, the, the, that the image of God that we were created in extends beyond the form and function that God has. And um, in Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. There we see that dominion is a form of behavior. It's more than just form and function. It's, it's behavior, it's an attitude towards life, it's a way of looking at life, it's a paradigm. So, for me, my, the breakthrough in my, my understanding of this came when I realized that there was a connection between dominion and God's image and likeness. Do you see that? You know, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So, he's, he wants us to have dominion and he's creating us in his image and likeness. Um, to me, that means that God intended us to have dominion in his image and likeness. If I'm to have dominion in my sphere the same way that God has dominion in his sphere, then my ideas of dominion must be wrong. <laughs> so my quest now became my quest now became to know how does God do dominion? What does God's dominion look like? I felt that this question was important because I recognized that God has created us to imprint. Are you acquainted with that idea? Um, you know, in, in biology, we have this, this concept of imprinting. 
And the, the idea is that um, it's not just human beings, but many creatures. Um, we, we become like our parents, like the first ones who gave us life. So in biology, we, we call this imprinting. The best illustration that I can think of is, is when you have an orphaned creature and it's raised by a creature different than it. I read a story once about uh, a chicken that was raised by ducks. And the poor thing couldn't figure out why it couldn't swim. <laughs> you know, he, he was trying to do a duck, live a duck life, and it, it just didn't work very well. And um, another story I, we, we have, actually, it's a children's story by James Harriet about uh, an orphaned kitten that he rescued on his way to, to visit a, a farm. And he, he gave it to the farmer and his wife, and they, they had a number of cats, but they looked around and they, they realized they did not have any nursing cats at the moment. And the only, the only place, the only creature they had nursing was a pig. And so they put that cat on the mother pig. And um, forever after, even when that cat was an adult, it hung around the pigs. <laughs> James said whenever he went out to that farm, he would always find the cat somewhere, you know, on the, around the pigsty there. So um, God created us to grow into the image of whatever was set before us. So as I realized that, my question became, how does God exercise dominion and where can I watch him at work? You know, I, I want to understand, how, how does this work? Where, I want to start imprinting. <laughs> so my, my first... Um, My first clue came at the back of the Bible in Revelation 22, 1, where it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And of course, there was a tree of life on either side, and the leaves were for the healing of the nation. And I realized that this was a picture of dominion. So what, what's at the center of this picture? There's a, it's a river of water of life, right? Rivers, do, do rivers come and go? Actually, some do, I guess, <laughs> out in the desert. But, but um, this one doesn't. This is a river of constantly flowing water, pure as crystal. And... Where is that water coming from? The throne of God. And what, what, what does a throne represent? You know, what happens on a throne? That's, that's where a king sits and exercises dominion, isn't it? When he's sitting on his throne, he's, whatever he does while he's sitting on his throne has his authority behind it. That's where he exercises dominion. And 
This is a picture of God's dominion. It's a river of crystal clear water constantly flowing out of him that is life-giving. So I I saw that God's dominion is life-giving. When I, I, I just want to share about this river picture. When I, when I think about a river of life, the, the picture that comes to me is, is of the Nile River. As, as I shared earlier, we, we lived in Sudan. And um, Sudan, you know, a lot of Americans are geographically challenged. I don't know if you all are. But I heard an amen back there. <laughs> just, a, just a funny story about that. When, when my mom first came to the States, uh, she, had, she, she came for college, so just so you understand the, the peer group she was dealing with there. Uh, she, she came for college, and uh, very often people would ask her, where are you from? They, they'd hear her accent. So they'd ask her, where are you from? And she'd say, well, I'm from Australia. And, and they would say, really? Wow, what language do you speak there? <laughs> and when my mom was a kid, they had, they had among the siblings, they had, they had spoken Pig Latin. Do you know what that is? So they had spoken among Pig Latin among themselves. So she'd oblige and, and speak a little Pig, pig Latin. And they were duly impressed. And she <laughs> So, anyways, um, Sudan is, is directly south of Egypt. And if, if you know your geography a little bit, the River Nile enters Egypt from the south. That means it's coming from Sudan. And Sudan actually has a lot more Nile in it than Egypt does. Um, we, we lived in Sudan, and we lived in, for, for several years, we lived in the northern part of Sudan on the Nile. And um, the other major geographic feature in Sudan, in northern Sudan, is the Sahara Desert. Um, the part of the, where, where we lived, if you were away from the river, everything was sand and rocks. Um, red sand and black rocks. That, that was it. Um, but you would come to the river and there was this ribbon of green on either side of the river um, full of date palms and and citrus and mango orchards and fields of of wheat and beans and fodder and vegetables. And um, there, there was life. And in villages, there was life next to the river. Um, and I, I feel that, that Jesus, in his, his life on this earth, he was like that river of life. Um, wherever he went, um, through the desert of our world, he was nourishing and cherishing those around him, those who came into his sphere of influence. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So then, if this is what God's dominion is like, then I want to be like that. I want to be life-giving like that. Um, then my dominion should be life-giving. And as I thought about it, I realized that that is what it's like in the garden. You know, while God is the ultimate life-giver, he's given me a role of life-giving as well. As I prepare my soil, as I plant my seeds, as I water and cultivate and protect my growing plants, I'm giving my life for them. I'm giving my time. I'm giving my energy. I'm giving my sweat. Sometimes I'm even giving my blood. <laughs> um, all for their life and for their well-being. And I, I, I was reminded also of Jacob's speech to Laban. There I was, by day the heat consumed me and the cold by night and sleep fled from my eyes. You know, that's, that's the life of the, the agriculturalist. <laughs> I'm, I give my life for them and in doing this, I learn and grow in my ability for godly dominion. The next thing I realized was that this is also true in, in all my relationships. I can be a life giver or I can be a life extractor. Um, my job as a husband and father is to be a life giver, to nourish and cherish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. That's Ephesians 5, 28 to 30. You know, one day I was spreading soil amendments on my field. And in my mind, I was, I was doing a little complaining. I was saying to myself, why do I have to do this every single year? Um, you would think that if you got it right, um, the soil would stay right. Um, and then... It was like God spoke to my heart and he said, you know, your field is like your wife. And I said, ah. Oh. You know, if I want my field to be fruitful, I have to keep putting inputs into it. If I want my wife to thrive and be fruitful, I have to keep inputting into her. 
I have to keep nourishing and cherishing her. It's not a one-off or occasional effort. It's a constant, consistent, outflowing life, like that river of life flowing out from God's throne. So these, these thoughts led me directly to, to the next um, characteristic of God's dominion, and that is that it's relational. Um, the act of life-giving is relational. When the Bible tells us that, that God is love, we recognize that he is relational. But what really um, drove this point home to me was the recognition, again, that in my garden, as well as in the universe, every single thing that God created, animate or inanimate, is in relationship with other things. You tell me something that's not in relationship, something that exists and is not in relationship. There is, there is nothing. Um, so when I'm working in my garden, I'm managing relationships. That's my job. Um, the squash plant in my garden is in a relationship with me and with the soil and with the microbes that are in the soil and with the wind and the rain and with the sun and the moon and much more. I mean, the, the relationships are, are extensive. You know, I, I used to be amazed at, at the intricacies of the individual creatures that God created, and I still am. But I have to tell you, what truly awes me now is, is all the relationships and the connections that God has established. There is a pattern here that's consistent throughout the universe. Everything in creation exists within intricate and elegant webs, networks, systems of relationships. Like wheels and wheels, each spinning independently and at the same time all spinning together and connecting on multiple levels. Um, we have electrons and protons circling a nucleus. We have moons circling planets. We have planets circling suns. And we have suns circling within galaxies. And galaxies are circling what? <laughs> They're circling. We know that. Um, God established this order for the children of Israel in the wilderness too. You know, they had their camp all around the tabernacle. Um, we have ecosystems, we have food systems, we have water cycles, we have oxygen cycles, we have nutrient cycles. The fact that everything God created is so intricately and elegantly interconnected and interdependent is evidence to me that relationships are highly significant to God. And if relationships are so significant to God, then what should they be for me if my goal is to grow into God's image? 
and likeness. So hot on the heels of, of this realization came the recognition that with all of these relationships and connections, something must keep them all in order or we would have chaos. Of course, God foresaw this. And he established parameters for every relationship within which life is fostered. And outside of them, life deteriorates. An example of these parameters in the garden is a tomato. Um, if a, if a tomato freezes, what happens? It dies. So freezing is outside the parameters of life for a tomato. Um, of course, there, are, there are, are a host of other parameters in the garden as well, such as water availability, day length, nutrient availability, the environmental niche, and, and we could go on and on. But there, there are all these parameters there. And um, another name for parameters is law. All law exists to govern relationships. That's true whether we're talking about natural laws or traffic laws or business laws or the Ten Commandment laws. You see, the Ten Commandments were created to govern relationships. Um, law is what enables wheels to spin within wheels without colliding. Law enables systems and webs of life to function in a life-giving rather than life-destructive way. All law established by God, whether natural or moral is for this end. And the final characteristic of God's dominion that I want to share with you today, and I, I want to say I'm, I'm sure there, there are so many more, <laughs> but I, I just want to share one more with you. And that is that God's dominion is for the purpose of fruit. Fruit is the goal or reason for dominion. It's like the currency of God's dominion. Fruit is why we expend our lives in the garden. Fruit is also ultimately why we expend ourselves in any labor that we do. Fruit is why Christ expended his life for us. And fruit is why we expend our lives for others. And fruit is generally the result of relationships. Male and female, mentor and learner, encourager and encouraged. Um, there is no fruit from the solitary or isolated life. And it's God's desire that we bear fruit. He said, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. 
It's in John 15, 8. In fact, that whole first part of John 15, you know, talking about the vine and the branches, it's all about fruit. So, in summary, it was God's purpose for us that we have dominion. And he intended that we model our dominion on his dominion. In other words, as he has dominion in his sphere, he intended for us to have dominion in our sphere. God's dominion is life-giving. God's dominion is relational. God's dominion is ordered. God's dominion is for fruit. And the garden is the place that God placed, put us to learn and practice how to have dominion in his image. So I'm hoping that you will be blessed as you work in your garden and as you, you grow in the image of God in exercising dominion the way that he does. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you created us to have dominion in your image. And we thank you that your image is such a beautiful image, this image of life-giving, of nourishing and cherishing, of having concern for the well-being of others, that they be fruitful. Father, this is not natural for us, and you know that. After the fall, our tendency has been, our natural tendency is to dominate rather than have life-giving dominion. We want to unlearn that, and we want to learn to walk in your steps the way that you do. We pray that you would, you would go with us and that you would teach us as we work in the garden. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.